0: So tonight I'm going to explore wisdom. Uh, it's a topic we're exploring for this whole month. And it's part of these three pillars that we're exploring over the next three months. So there's Donna and also Sila. And you can look at earlier talks to see how that all fits together. So wisdom is such a critical part of our of our practice of how we develop as meditators. And last week, or last time, I contrasted that with knowledge. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with knowledge and gaining knowledge and understanding. I, mean, I love to gain knowledge around lots of different areas. And wisdom, at least the way I'm framing it tonight, is a little different way, different aspect of, of us, of our understanding or our sense of knowing. Because there's some fundamental differences around knowledge versus wisdom. Because we can have a lot of knowledge and not be very wise, or we can have a lot of wisdom and not have a lot of book knowledge. So they both have their place. They both help our practice deepen and mature. And wisdom comes from a different place. It tends to be from direct knowing, direct experience, something that we see for ourselves in a way that's unshakable. I use this analogy, used to use it a lot in the intro class that I when I was much younger, back like 18, 19, I was worked for the Forest Service. And some, they gave me a big rig, a big like suburban to drive around in. And they always said, okay, don't drive too fast on those gravel roads because you might start spinning. And I thought, okay, I understand that. But then one day I was driving too fast on a gravel road and started to spin out. And just feeling the, the terror of that, not knowing, am I going to go into the ditch on the right or the cliff on the left, on the left side? Luckily I went to the, the ditch and had a call to get some help getting towed out. But that was a transformation from this idea of don't drive too fast to the visceral knowing of that. And so even to this day I can still feel that if I'm getting into conditions of the road which are a little more slippery that I can recall that and bring a level of, of understanding. So knowledge sometimes can just stay in our heads. You know, this is an idea, and can, again, help us do great things in the world, help us navigate our professions, our relationships, our hobbies. There are so many wonderful things that come from knowledge. While wisdom tends to come more from our bodies, from our heart, and really from ourselves, almost in our bones, we start to know What things are. And so tonight I'd like to explore three ways that wisdom grows in us as Dharma practitioners. It's not an exhaustive list. It's just some things to kind of, we can explore and get a handle on. These things come to mind with my own practice and also working with students over these, these years. And each one of these is so many things in, in Dharma really depend upon each other. They're really interrelated, interconnected. They can't be so isolated without, without the other ones supporting each other. And there's also, as we explored the last two weeks, there's this movement in each of these from knowledge into wisdom, from our intellectual understanding into the, actually the direct knowing, the immediate knowing as our practice matures and deepens. There's this, this movement into, into things, into the actual experience. And from the the knowledge side, these things don't seem like, oh, that's such a big deal. But from the wisdom side, they can be profoundly transformational. So three things I'd like to explore with you tonight. First one is the connection with the present moment. Being present with what things are actually happening. Being mindful. The second one is understanding cause and effect. Understanding how our actions have effects, to actually see that clearly, to really know it in our in our bones. And the final one is to releasing is about releasing identification. So connection with the present moment. Let's explore that. So this this phrase being being present, being mindful is such a cliche in this culture of ours. That we hear, we can go on the bus, you can go in the airport, and people are telling us to be mindful, to, you know, be present. And really they're talking about paying attention, you know, being aware of what's going on, being aware of your impact around other people. But this, this kind of reclaim this word mindfulness back to, to our Buddhist roots. Because the way it's often used, it doesn't capture some important elements. Of what mindf- being mindful is. Particularly, we look at mindfulness as having kind of these two elements. One element is kind of a sustained attention, sustained attention, and also an attention that is friendly, that has a non judgmental quality to it. Another way we can say this or reframe it is actually this quality of stepping back to observe. To actually see what is present, okay, versus being lost in it, being caught in the middle of it. Mindfulness allows us to step back and and see it from a greater perspective. And in a paradoxic, in a paradox way, it actually has this sense of being closer to being very intimate, to being very receptive to what this moment's experience is. So these two things really have almost a dynamic tension between them, that we go too far one way or another, we kind of get out of balance. And the sense of being receptive, the sense of really observing what is here and really sensing it. When I say observe or see, I'm really using that as a a placeholder for all the senses, all the sense of perception. Sometimes I play around with... um, a tin whistle, like a a little penny whistle. And sometimes I hit particular notes, and a guitar I have on the the wall starts to vibrate. It starts to pick up that pitch, and it starts to make its own song in relationship to that vibration. And mindfulness has that quality, that when we sense something, when we actually open to it, it starts to resonate in us. We start to feel it. We actually start to take it in. So this is very important. And just like that guitar, my wall, the whole thing doesn't start to vibrate; just one string does. So there's still a sense of the instrument being having a wholeness, a sense of integrity to it, and it just connecting with that one tone. Right? Still, it has its not to make it um, have its own personality, but there's still this kind of it's this wholeness that's still there, but still resonating with that one sound. Well, that stepping back quality, stepping back and observing and sensing what's here allows us to not be so enmeshed and so caught in our patterns of reactivity, of triggering, of anger, of, of fear, to actually see, okay, this is what's going on in this moment's experience. So these two elements kind of have this dynamic tension. And this is what we learn as meditators, is how do we bring the right balance to any given situation? When that right balance is there, then there's the potential for wisdom to start to arise. Now, if you resonate too much with something, if you just start to become really a whole body or a whole sense of me starts to vibrate with that, we start to lose our center, we lose our sense of being grounded and being present. Our own sense of integrity and balance starts to throw off. We get thrown off. We just lose ourselves in the midst of that experience. And yet, if you don't resonate enough, we don't really take in that experience. We don't let it really touch us and register and really start to transform us through that scene. We don't learn from it in the same way. It doesn't allow wisdom to grow in the same way. Now this, how much we resonate with something is really essential around issues, around trauma, around really deep grief, deep loss, overwhelming change. Sometimes the circumstances in our life are just so much that we start to open to it and it just sweeps us off our feet. It's like we're swept down this current. Or when when teacher of mine described trauma, it's like we it's almost like a vortex that we find ourselves being pulled into, like we can't get out of that. So that's resonating too much. So actually, the ability to step back and observe, to kind of disconnect in a way, to not be so lost in it, is so helpful. And that's where that dynamic tension is, is learning how to, how much do I step in? How much do I step out? And then on the other hand, if we stay too much in that neutral perspective, that sense of stepping back and observing, then we're a little disconnected from life. We're disconnected from our experience. We feel a little aloof, aloof, you know, away from. And this is one of the issues with the word equanimity. Because especially when we often first hear it, we think, okay, that's a way that I can be basically okay with whatever happens. And if our practice hasn't really deepened and able to really know true equanimity, we tend to go the shortcut of being disconnected. You know, okay, I'm going to disconnect from things. I'm not going to feel anything. I'm going to kind of numb myself out. Versus uh, feeling everything equally, having that equal closeness to all things. It's a little bit like that line from Simon and Garfunkel's Song of, song of Silence. that or is it, I am a rock. I think I am a rock. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. So that's going too far into that aloofness. So as, as meditators, that's what this homework is about this week, is to start to notice this dynamic tension in your mindfulness. That sometimes it's really skillful to step back, to observe, to have a greater perspective. Sometimes it's actually not so skillful. It's more skillful to surrender and open to this experience, allow it to resonate in a deeper and deeper way.
1: So when mindfulness
0: has this dynamic tension between that stepping back and observing and also the quality of being close to or really resonating or receiving this moment's experience, it becomes the optimum conditions for wisdom to grow. Because we're observing, we're seeing, and yet we're fully connected. It starts to transform us. Because when we're really intimate with the moment's experience, when we really kind of let go of our normal pushing things away or that sense of bias or that sense of preference. We really let things in something interestingly happens to that sense of me, that sense of who I am, I start to have to loosen that up. That when I stay in my normal stance of me and my opinions and memories and reactions, I'm more formed, I'm more established. I want to really allow things to be felt and experienced There's a way that sense of self starts to thin. It starts to become quieter. You start to loosen up that fix, fixity, that solidity around that sense of me. That conclusion of me. There's been many times in my practice history that I've been struggling with some something, you know, something you know, emotional, maybe a difficult relationship or a different difficult interaction or some situation in my life. And I feel like I'm opening to it and relaxing to it and trying to feel it in deeper and deeper ways. And yet there's some way that I'm still not really opening to it. There's still some resistance to it. There's really some preference for that thing not to be there. It's like, this is painful. I'd rather this not be here. A little bit of resistance, even if it's gets subtle, kind of creates it, kind of makes everything very sticky. There's a stickiness to it. There's also a way it kind of reinforces that sense of me in relationship to it. But when I finally are able to stop resisting it, I mean, fully say, okay, you can be here as long as you want. You can be here forever. I'm going to simply notice it, actually open to it, start to resonate with it. Fully acknowledge how this moment is. That's when that, that sense of vibration happens, that resonance happens. I start to recognize, okay, there's something here I have not seen. And that's what transforms. That's what actually allows it to change. And there's this interesting thing that I've been usually trying to let go of this kind of pattern, this anger, this resentment, this fear. And yet when I finally open to it without any sense of friction or trying to push it away, any resistance, that's when it actually starts to let go of me. It's like a sense of something lifting from me. And that's the growth of wisdom. That's the growth of wisdom around that moment. That then wisdom comes back and maybe understands this whole process in the context of something the Buddha taught, something that was taught through the, the suttas. That's, oh, I see that. I see this now, the, the role of identification, the role of clinging, the role of selfing from a very personal, direct way. Now, before I leave this topic of mindfulness, the sense of connecting with the present moment, just to explore for a little bit this other kind of spectrum of, of mindfulness. And that's really how exclusive our attention is versus how inclusive it is. Okay, so an exclusive attention is I'm picking some object, some sense object like the breath, and I'm excluding everything else. So I'm letting go of everything else except that breath, that sensation of that one breath in, that one breath out. That quality of exclusive attention cultivates steadiness of attention, cultivates samadhi or concentration, which for many of us is, is underdeveloped. That concentration allows us to actually kind of see through the different layers of unconsciousness, of delusion around something. We see that one thing in a very deep way. The other side of the spectrum is when we become much more inclusive with our awareness. We're taking spacious awareness or choiceless awareness. We're simply being available for whatever arises, from any vector, any sector, anything that arises. Sound, emotion, sensation. They all can be held in this field of awareness, this field of knowing. So both of these have their place in our practice. Both have their their downsides. Sometimes when we're being too exclusive, we get a little tight with it. Our effort gets really hard, right? Then it becomes kind of brittle. Sometimes with spacious awareness, we actually become spacey, right? We become a little checked out. We just kind of get lost in thought and daydreaming. So learning how to, to find that balance, one drawback of the um, exclusive awareness is that we're just seeing one thing and we don't see the play of life coming and going. One drawback of the more spacious awareness is that we're maybe not able to kind of drill down or notice something more minutely. So like having both capacities, I think, is very helpful. think like Often the way I, I practice or I encourage people to practice is to move toward that Choiceless awareness, when when the situation's ripe, when your conditions of your mind are ripe and able to hold that. And times knowing knowing when you have to be more focused, more specific. And from that place of choiceless awareness, you might notice, oh, here's something that just arose that has a lot of charge, has a lot of identification. Then I can start to narrow down, really look at that in a more clear and deep way. No so mindfulness, or that sense of just being connected to the present moment. Because if we're not connected to the present moment, wisdom can't really arise. Again, the way I'm, I'm holding that or exploring that—that that wisdom depends on us to actually make contact with this present moment, to actually see that, connect with it, sense it, and letting that very contact starts to transform us. Both the quality of that stepping back and observing and also
1: the quality of that receptivity.
0: So now let's move on to this next one of cause and effect. And mindfulness is essential for this also, because we start to see directly you know, what our effects are, what our actions are, what our intention is behind those actions, what our intention is, and also what, what goes on in this whole system of our hearts, our minds, our energy, our beliefs. And remember, action isn't just what we do physically. It's also how we use our words. I, I like to expand it to all forms of communication. Also, what we think, how we think, that's also an action. Anytime we make a choice to do something, to think, to speak, to write, to text, or to do something with our bodies, that's all considered action. That all has a certain potentiality to how our our future manifests. So by connecting with the moment, we can start to notice all the stuff that's going on. You know, I feel a sense of reaction to something and then I can actually observe that. So I've shared this story a few times around, um, family vacations that there was this habit I had that my, my wife and daughter would point out to me that I was really concerned about leaving on time. Okay, we got to leave on time so we can have a good time, right? Got to hurry up and have fun. And so, of course, being human, we, you know, didn't, we weren't always leaving at 9.30 or 10 o'clock. It would be maybe 10.30 or 11 o'clock. And I might get tight about it and start to get a little harsh in my language. And I would hear, you know, I knew I wasn't, I shouldn't be doing that, but the habit was really strong. I had something unconscious around that. So then, enter this quality of mindfulness. I started to pay attention to that. And I started to listen to the impact of my actions on them to actually have that conversation, like, tell me what it's like when I get like that, and to hear how hard it was, how unpleasant it was, and how it set the tone for this this time together that I was so hoping for. Right. So hearing that impact, letting it in, letting it resonate with myself, to actually feel it, to let it be known, that allowed things to start to uh, transform that attitude. So then I started to relax much more around it. It's like, okay, it's not a big deal. We miss that ferry, we get the next ferry. And that really transformed that piece of of our lives. This is the power of, of our practice in our daily lives. And when you find something you're struggling with, don't hold that outside of your practice. Bring it into the practice. Let yourself maybe step back so you get more perspective. Let yourself go in and resonate. Feel the suffering that's around it. And let it transform you. Let you see it more more clearly. And for most of it, it's it's really a process of trial and error. We're kind of bumbling through life, making mistakes and learning from our, our actions. And mindfulness allows us to learn in a deeper way, a more full way. And that learning allows us to start to grow with wisdom. Wisdom starts to grow. It's a little bit like that, um, that saying that you know good judgment, you know where good judgment comes from? It comes from experience. And experience that comes from bad judgment. Right? So we make bad choices. We have experiences and we hopefully learn from that. We start to be transformed by that. And this is actually a theme throughout many of the Buddha's suttas and his teaching. He would like there's one famous one where he talks about two kinds of thought. They look at some thought, he said, Okay, once if I just divided my thoughts into two big categories there's these thoughts that cause more suffering, they're unskillful. There's these thoughts which actually lead toward freedom that are skillful, start to see that, and what if I just emphasize that latter category, put more energy into that, and release the energy from the other ones. And he learned that through trial and error. He noticed what caused suffering. So mindfulness, one of the great gifts of that is we're able to notice things in more and more subtle ways. The subtle way actually can be just as transformational as the big ways, It just we don't have such a big mess to clean up. So that's also a big advantage. Now, another element of this, this sense of, of seeing cause and effect, seeing how our actions cause impact in ourselves and others, is learning to take appropriate responsibility for our actions. To say, okay, this is... I'm feeling angry, instead of, you're making me angry, you're, you've made me upset. Remembering mindfulness, we're not, tr- we're not training ourselves to be really good breath meditators. Okay, the purpose of learning to connect with the breath is to learn how to cultivate mindfulness, to actually learn how to steady our attention, to see more and more clearly. Look at the Satipatthana Sutta. The Buddha says, look at all these different aspects of being human. Include all of those. Include your mind. Include your intention. Include that quality of, of, of liking and disliking. So we do this when we have an argument with a loved one. How do we open to that? How do we turn toward it? So, if we're able to step back enough to that place of witnessing, of, of observing, we can start to see things which are unseen. And then we can go in deeper to see what we need to resonate with to open to. And here's a, a helpful piece there. Is usually in any situation in our lives, there's some things which are kind of obvious that we naturally are kind of resonating with. Let's say, we, tend, we get upset, we're going to tend to be angry. That's our default, right? So I know that anger. But in that same experience, there's also these kind of less emphasized or less seen or less acknowledged aspects. Maybe there's the sadness, the fear, the, tad, the, the tenderness underneath the anger. So learning how to, to recognize those, again, through mindfulness, just paying attention. You're not inventing anything. You're just seeing what's there. And just let yourself connect with those deeper ones, those ones that sadness, that sense of of fear perhaps, and letting that resonate with you a bit. That starts to transform us, because we're seeing something different, seeing something we haven't seen around this. This becomes a very potent way for us to learn from life. see, life's little struggles and big struggles are actually a gift. Now, I did say appropriate responsibility. You know, taking responsibility for your actions and saying, okay, this is my reaction. But appropriate is actually, it's important to realize that's not the same thing as blaming ourselves or feeling a sense of shame. I think many of us have to kind of learn to navigate that. Yeah, I've learned to bring that very quality of mindfulness into something like shame or blame and feeling that deeper sense of belief around something flawed in, with me or something that's internally inadequate, unlovable, however you might frame it. Is a really a profound thing to do in our practice? Because it's such an almost epidemic uh, experience with people. So many people have that, since something's not quite right with me, something that's not quite adequate. They have different ways we compensate with it. And so how do we turn toward this? This is a little tricky, because some of these these beliefs are so deeply held. They're such a part of who we take ourselves to be. It's like like when I play that tin whistle, instead of having one guitar string, Sound. It's like the whole guitar starts to sound. We could, because the resonance just takes over. The story takes over. Like the guitar starts to play its own song. Probably one of those things from Simon and Garfunkel's early days. Those really sad songs. <laughs> so we have to be able to step back and just have that one little string resonate. Keep that sense of integrity. I remember my, I've told the story about my own journey around that. Because it's, it's pretty, for if you have that, pretty quickly you start to run into that. Because we're asking you just, just sit quietly and pay attention to yourself. Right? And then your, 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 your heart says, okay, now is the opportunity to start to open to these things. And so sometimes these deeper beliefs just start to show themselves again and again. And so for myself, having that deep sense of inadequacy, of lack of something fundamentally flawed with myself, once I started to be able to, to not become so lost in it, but actually start to observe it and sense it, like, okay, I can notice it. That's that stepping back quality. And actually then I became more curious around it. Like, well, how, this belief seems to come up with lots of things. How, how pervasive is it? And I started to actually shift from being part of the process or being activated by it, but actually able to observe it, to have some resonance with it. But more of that stepping back so I can actually observe it. I started to be amazed to see that like I would I was like, okay, I'm gonna just notice time this comes up, this pattern, and I would hear a phone ring and I would think, okay, someone's calling me, and my thought was they're gonna criticize me. Or I went to open the mailbox. Okay, there's gonna be some rejection in that letter. I started to see that, wow, my whole world is kind of oriented around this belief. And I started to see that didn't make much sense. It didn't make much sense. It caused so much suffering. And so then I allowed myself to do a deeper way of resonating with it, to feel it, to open to it. Again, staying balanced. Kind of basically not believing it's true. And at some point it just started to fall away in deeper and deeper ways. It still arises at times, but it's not that same kind of grip. It doesn't like... Lock everything into that whole system, that whole belief system. That's, there's no, it feels like there's no escape from it. But eventually you can just realize it's just a belief. It's something that made sense at some point in your life. And there's some freedom. There's some really freedom that comes from that. So this is actually leads us nicely into the next and final one of releasing identification. Because this, this work of like exploring this inadequacy or that sense of lack, you know, there's a psychological component. But where the Dharma comes in with it is that we're seeing how we create that sense of me in relationship to it. As we talked about, I think last week is when you're feeling inadequate about yourself, is there any question of who you are or what you are? He's like, you're really defined in that moment. You're like, I know exactly who and what I am. I'm this miserable piece of something, whatever it might be, right? Well, if we're, that, that belief isn't so active, if we're just connecting with this present moment in a very simple, direct way, how established are you? How solid are you in that moment?
1: And that sense of self is very, can be very thin, very soft, very quiet.
0: And This is where that balance, that dynamic tension of, of learning to step back, but not stepping back in a way that protects us too much, like we're disconnecting. Because when we're aloof and disconnected, you know, we're very established. You know, I've created maybe the new the new sense of self who's the the cool-headed mindf- mindfulness person who never gets upset and I don't feel anything because I'm equanimous. Or for we're over-resonating, we're just kind of caught in the pain of this experience. You know, we're, we're really established in that. So finding where that balance is—really, much of it is learning how not to uh, draw, always draw that conclusion to experience. You know, so often we have an experience. We might meet it in a mindful way, in a very open way that transform us. We might have an insight, might arise, and then. We tend to draw a conclusion. I want to kind of plug myself back into it, like we have this these cogs in a wheel. That for a moment, that that one cog of self falls away, and we want to reestablish it. It's like, let me tell you about this great experience I had of non-self. Right? You are claiming, claiming claim to it. Or I had an experience of impermanence. I want to write that on the wall so it's I never forget it. That never changes. Right? You know it's, it's like that, it's so it's it humorous, but we we're always trying to do that. We get do it in very subtle ways. That's one of the when you can start to make that very construction of self the object of attention, noticing how you form and unform, practice really starts to open in beautiful ways. Because it starts to change from us being mindful or us experiencing something, to simply like awareness is being aware of itself. Awareness is this this presence. The sense of us starts to quiet down, and yet there's still we're still here. We're still aware and present. We're just not filtering it through this constriction of of that I, me, and mine. That contraction of self. And so this way, all three of these start to. Work beautifully together. Mindfulness is, in some ways, the core way that allows us to learn to relate to experience in a different way, to learn to step back when we're too enmeshed, learning how to connect and resonate when we're too aloof. Optimum conditions for starting to learn, while things like cause and effect, taking appropriate responsibility for our experience. And we start to see that that contraction of self, that sense of contraction of who I am, starts to become more of an open question. It's like, I don't know what I am. But I'm here. I'm having this experience. I'm
1: connected to you.
0: And that's enough. That's enough. And we can still know how to to solve problems and create solutions and do all the things from our knowledge. We're having this, also at the same time, this deeper and deeper understanding a presence and really connecting with this moment. All right, let's just sit quietly
1: for a couple of moments, letting those words settle. All right, thank you for
0: your kind attention. Let's say a few words about the homework. So, the homework again, I pasted it on the chat so if you can get that online. And here in the room, there's maybe not enough copies for everyone, but there's some copies, and we'll put it with the the talk when it gets posted. So when you're being mindful, whether you're doing a formal meditation practice or if you're just in daily life trying to be present, start to notice this dynamic tension between observation and receptivity. Okay, observing is that, you know, by definition, we're kind of stepping outside the experience to be able to sense it with a little bit of perspective. I'm sensing this sensation as well as this bird song. There's kind of a balance of, of broadness of attention versus that quality of receiving and of really, of that receptivity, that resonance with the moment. Right? So there's sometimes in your life that you need to have more emphasized versus another. But start to notice how you have a, maybe a default, that whenever this one situation comes up, you tend to, I'm going to jump into that observation. I'm going to step back and observe. Right? I'm going to get some distance. Or other situations where I just find myself just lost in the middle of it. I don't realize I'm so upset. I'm already fired off all these emails and texts and having this big reaction. And seeing if you can find where the balance is. And how these are constantly shifting and changing. That ideally in the moment, both are happening. That there's a sense of being observing and yet being fully affected, fully connected to this moment's experience. Some experiences are very charged, right? They're very painful to open to. So it might be skillful to learn to step back, to give yourself some breathing room around it. When it's it's not, feeling is not the problem. You're feeling it's too much to feel. Stepping back is helpful. other there are times when you feel that sense of disconnection and aloofness, letting yourself connect in a very simple but concrete way, really letting something in, something like the bird song, letting someone smile in, letting someone's story into your heart. So next week we'll have a, a recap talk, kind of summarize this or maybe go... Slightly different direction depending on how I feel. And then we'll have a chance for you to share what this uh, this topic was like for you. So are there any questions or sharing both here in person or online? You know, online you can raise your virtual hand. It's probably the easiest for me. And in person you can raise your physical hand. Okay, Alan, go ahead.
2: Yeah, thanks Tim. Um thinking about this topic of um uh you know open just more open awareness and more focused awareness. Uh what came to mind for me is I've noticed um just a strong need to orient. Um and I don't I don't know if it's I don't know if it's exactly on this paradigm, but when I think about um, when I have just kind of open, relaxed attention for a long time, letting all things come in, often there's like this drive to do something and it doesn't matter, like check the news, Um, you know, it could be anything than just like listening to the sounds going on, but there seems to be just Sometimes not a discomfort with staying, you know, not exactly oriented to any one thing. And in the past, what I've done is when I've noticed, um, what, what I'm doing, like it could be anything, like, you know, looking at my house financial spreadsheets and continuing to optimize those or there's always usually something that is, is my thing, you know, when it's like, uh, you know, when it, when it feels like non-orienting to a specific thing, it's like, oh, let's go do one thing. Um, and so what I, what I tend to do is try to like just stop doing that, you know, and just remove that from the equation and kind of see what happens. Um. But I'm curious what your thought is uh, about, um, because it's also, you know, I also just kind of observe the pattern.
0: All right. So let me make sure I understand what you're saying is that times when you're practicing and there's a quality of, of kind of, real spaciousness a sense of, of openness and also kind of a in some ways ungroundedness because you're not so defined and you you see there's this impulse arises to kind of really focus on something that's that's more like the spreadsheets or something that you can really okay i know who i am i'm knowing what i'm doing mm-hmm. is that kind of what your question is and what that how to work with that
2: yeah and um you know it, the other thing I was saying is my, how I've worked with it in the past is just like, okay, I'm not going to do X anymore, you know, but it seems like, mm, you know, the mind always finds something like I used years ago, I used to play video games. So Okay. No more video games. Okay. Then it was, Something mm-hmm. else, okay. None of that, you know. But it seems like something just creeps up.
0: That's that's like, right. Something takes its place. Yeah, there's a energy underneath that kind of reforming quality. Yeah, I used to notice that, like I would maybe meditate and then I want, you know, jump up and want to reengage myself, like open the refrigerator or do something that's gonna kind of co- coalesce myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's th- there's both. There's both a the wisdom in that, because sometimes we we open and we just become so kind of unformed or and kinda of our sense of self becomes quieter and quieter, it becomes a little bit threatening. So we want to kind of re-establish ourselves. So part of that is is kind of that natu- it's natural. It's you know, that's sometimes helpful to be able to know, okay, I'm getting a little too unformed here, I want to bring myself back. And at some point we start i think the reason you're asking the question is we start to see that okay there's a limitation to that, so that the one strategy is okay i 'm just going to stop that you know as you as you said, you find just a different way, a different avenue of, of re-engaging in that so I would suggest is next time you find that whole dynamic happening, just kind of put a, a like a slow motion on it, right so this pattern is still kind of operating but much like a quarter speed or a tenth speed and you start to notice what's underneath that pattern right and sometimes you can start to get a, a real clear sense that oh wow there's this we call tanha that hunger to be to reform to become okay this is what i am i'm i want to be something i want to be my ego wants to come back into place it's like we're kind of falling apart and we keep trying to put ourselves back together Instead of judging that pattern, just notice it. It's like, oh wow, there's that hunger to, to be. And then you, then you can get to the crux of it. What happens if I just relax with that? You know, just hang out with that hunger to, to be, to want to reform, to reground. Instead of following the impulse of what that looks like, whether it's a video game or optimizing the spreadsheet of the household, you just start to notice, or there's that impulse. What's kind of the underneath energy, the driver of that impulse? And that's really interesting thing to start to see, and that sometimes can make it, um, it can actually make the whole thing a little bit more um,
1: clear. Like there's
0: that energy of of being undefined. There's often a little fear with that. Like I don't know who I am if I'm not doing the spreadsheet. I don't know who I am if I'm not doing this particular activity. So learning to just kind of navigate that, to relax with it. And then ultimately, you start to just see it as just this play. There's this this kind of great saying um, that we often start practice, and we talked about this in the ox-herding pictures, that there's the form is everything. The video game, the spreadsheet is everything. And then we practice for a while, and we start to see, okay, there's the formless, that's everything but we're kind of attached to that. And at some point we go back into form and you start to realize it's just this play, that there's actually something that's that's this essence of what we really are, this sense of consciousness, of awareness. Sometimes it forms into this uh, concrete form or activity. Sometimes it falls back into the spaciousness, into the stillness, into the unformedness. But there's no sense of, of kind of friction with whichever flow it goes. Because we know that okay, there's something else that is sometimes it needs to be formed, sometimes it needs to be unformed. does that help at all, Alan?
2: Yes, it does. Thank you, Tim.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you. All right, how about back here in the room? Anyone have anything like to ask or share? Yes, do you mind coming up, Marcos Marcus? Marcus? All right, just reading the chat from... So Wood, I've heard this whole know.
3: process described as a breakdown of subject and object. Can uh-huh. you explain it in those terms? I've,
0: I, someone talked to me about that once. Sure, subject versus object. Subject so versus
3: object, and then this, when you become one or mindful that there's kind of a break, between. The, instead of there being a barrier, you bridge the gap between object and subject.
0: That's right. Yeah, so that's that's one way it's often framed that you know, subjectively or our, our inner experience of it is there, so there's there's a sense of me who's the the subject and there's the object of what I'm looking at or experiencing. It could be something outside myself, another person, like talking to you. It could be something internally, like okay, I'm having this sensation. But there's always this sense of, of separation of of me observing something, the subjects observing the object. And
3: one of the goals would be to break down that
0: barrier. Yes. Yeah, the, the, we have to be careful with the word break down because if we break, you know... <laughs> not, not yeah, 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 it's, yeah. Yeah, one of the goals is to allow that space to start to f- dissolve and fall away. So there's not a sense of separation because that's that's a subjective sense of separation, of right. distance, right? And so that sense, okay, I'm going to... Kind of let go of that, and really, what happens there is there's a, there's a letting go of that sense of me who's having this experience, and yet there's still the experiences happening. It's like that Bahia Sutta where the Buddha says, you know, um, let that that sense of you observing something fall away, so there's no you there. They're just they're just the sensing happening. So
3: in Buddhism, what exactly, if you if you say you're,
0: what would the I be in Buddhism? Is it is it just the aggregates or I, in other words, if someone asks well what, what do you mean by "I" in the Buddhist context, what would that be well there's yeah there's different ways we can answer that, so there's certainly the technical piece we can talk about the aggregates, the sense of you know the, all those aggregates come together to create that sense of I. there's also the kind of the mechanism from the dependent origination that we see the actual going from from sense data to how we our senses are really kind of pre-prime to interpret things a different way. And we kind of go into liking and disliking, craving, clinging into selfing from that. So it's kind of that whole process of it. But there's just that subjective sense of that there's me who's having this experience. And that's kind of the basic delusion. That's the central delusion. That's the central piece of the second noble truth that we're trying to see through.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. I was just noticing also the chat from Julie, so thank you for that. All right. Anyone else like to ask or share anything, either in the room or on, online? Yes. You might. Am I coming up so they can hear you online?
4: Hi. Um, I was kind of wondering when you were talking about your experience of noticing that you would get um, about wanting to leave the house and realizing mm-hmm. that was right. something I yeah. wanted to change. Like, I've noticed when I see those things in my life that I'm like, huh, this is definitely a pattern and I do this and I don't really want to do this
0: because mm-hmm.
4: it's painful. <laughs> I have this sense that, like, I need to uncover, like, why I do this. And, mm. Like, what was it in my childhood that, like, well, yeah. figure it out. But sometimes I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and like do you think you need to know or can you just like not know and still let it
0: go? Mm. Okay, so the question is around uh, kind of a habit that you want to get rid of. Do you need to know the kind of the deep psychological roots of that or can you just kind of just let go? I think you can just let go. That's certainly possible. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes the... The, the root, the seeing the connection can be helpful because you kind of see how it, where it came from and why it comes up in some situations versus others. But kind of the bottom line is, and maybe this might help, is that often we try to figure it out, we kind of go into our heads, right? I'm going to try to trace out, okay, oh, that's how my mom does it or my dad or whatever it might be. Versus from a mindfulness point, you just say, what's here? What's this experience like right in this moment? And so you're going to feeling the sense of, of the body having it, the emotions, the deeper beliefs around it, and just kind of letting like that example, like a, a guitar leading one string kind of resonate, but there's still kind of the overall integrity. You're still kind of connected and grounded and centered. So you're not becoming overwhelmed by it, but you're also just noticing, oh yeah, that's a, that's a tender spot there, you know, and you just, Trying, this is the the tricky part from a mindfulness standpoint, is that we're so used to trying to do something with it, to try to fix it or change it. If we have that agenda, it tends to kind of obscure how we see it. So if you can kind of relax in a way that, okay, I'm, I don't care about this being here or not being here. I mean, I care about it, but I, you know, I, I, I'm gonna just let it be here as long as it wants to be. I start to have a dialogue with it. I start to understand it in a deeper and deeper ways. Because often the patterns that are kind of little stuck in us, there's aspects we don't fully understand and see. And from a mindfulness standpoint, you're just like kind of holding yourself to it, just letting yourself feel it, observe it, sense it in deeper and deeper ways. And if a connection comes up, oh, there's a through line in my childhood. That's, that's interesting. You notice that. But you don't necessarily have to have that. Because sometimes things just they just fall away without even realizing why you let go of that. I think many people in this room and on this call have noticed patterns. Just you just stop doing them. You don't know why you did it. You didn't mean to stop doing them. They just didn't make any more sense. Does that help?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think I wonder if there's also an element of like my attachment to self of like wanting to like understand like,
0: why. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That sense of, of that you wanting to understand why. Um, yeah, there, is a, there can be an attachment with it. So like depending on how you look at it, you can look at it in a way that's, okay, I'm looking at it without trying to reinforce that sense of me, or I can look at it in a way that tries to reinforce that sense of me. And often that sense of, of looking to reinforce tends to kind of keep the pattern intact. Yeah, thank you for asking that. All right, anyone else like to ask
1: or share anything? All right, Beth, come on up.
4: Um, I'm going to riff off the last interaction it prompted something a memory that i had from our teacher uh, philip moffett who's mm-hmm. coming in december so look for that um he's going to be online so um uh, thinking about the the story of the past and trying to figure it out and being attached to a thread right mm-hmm. that, that makes um one of the things he says is um uh, wanting to have had a different past, mm. and um, that was very useful. That is very useful to me to kind of hook into the, the sort of the, um, the grief, mm. right, for what wasn't or what was and shouldn't have been something, and the grief is in the present moment.
1: Mm.
4: Uh, right. That yes, that's a. a it is a it's a thought and a story, but it provokes a sensation that I can actually work with. That's right. Um, whereas whatever was or wasn't, I can't do anything about. It. Um, and there is a shift over time, as you're describing, that something about it just fades away. Hmm.
0: Um, so anyway, it's just yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's sometimes think of practice as freeing up the present moment from our past, right? Because our past often has a way of kind of shaping how we perceive the moment. And that's a, that's a nice way of exploring it, that we can reflect on the past in a way that doesn't just kind of keeps it going, like, oh, I wish I never had that experience, or I wish I had made different choices, whatever it might be. But we can't go back unless we have a time machine, right? We can't change that. And yet, There's the impact in this moment of what's arising. And that's the point of power is that connecting with what's actually here and that sense of grief that you can work with, that you can open to. And that's, that's really that, the power of mindfulness because that's where it is. It's like, okay, let me just meet this moment. And just by meeting it with as much skill as you can, it does start to unhook the past. It allows the past to really be freed, our moment, our present life to be freed up from that, that tyranny of
1: the past. Um, I like that point of power. I like that. Thank you You're welcome. All right. How about back online? Anyone like to ask or share anything All right, back in the room. On Zoom, okay. Go
0: ahead, Allison.
3: I'm not sure this is fully formed. Um, When I saw the homework in the chat, the first thing that came to mind for me was how I've been responding to what's happening in Israel and Palestine and trying this back and forth between observation to keep a wider view when because of the amount of suffering, everything feels so urgent. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also not wanting to have too wide of a view so that I am untouched by what is going on. And it feels like it
1: has been Um,
3: so far (laughs) a skillful kind of dynamic Um, in the past I feel like with these situations like um, thinking of George Floyd's murder the sense of urgency can pull me so deeply in that I kind of you know my own sense of responsibility gets blown out of proportion and um, there's more selfing that goes on that's far, far more selfing going on that's helpful to anyone who's actually experiencing the crisis in the crisis itself. Um, but I, I think my question is like, does wisdom have fruit? Um, I, I, can't, I keep waiting, I guess for that skillful balance to, reveal some sort of insight or action. Maybe this goes back to what Alan was saying in some way, like the need to do in response to still feels Mm -hmm. pretty strong. And yeah, so I don't, I, um, I'm wondering when or what to notice about wisdom leading back outward.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Allison. Yeah, so that's, it's kind of one of the common questions we have is kind of a, a life riddle around it because our practice does seem so kind of reflective and internal and in how do we actually come out into the world and, and make change and, and yet, you know, how do we now become overwhelmed by what we're exploring and, and, you know, there's all this, this dynamic that you, you talked about it really nicely, just that, that dynamic tension around. You know opening and bigger perspective and all that, and in terms of wisdom of like when do you act and how do you act it's it gets It definitely gets trickier, the further removed you are from it. You know if it's something likes happening in your neighborhood or in your family, I mean like the actions are like it's just yeah, it's obvious, this is what needs to happen, or I can see that dynamic, and the responsibility is really clear to act. But something that's much bigger—that's you know something that's you know in two different countries across the world or something like you know, like George Floyd and and just the, the the nature of systemic racism and all the structures around it—is like how do I find an entry point into that? That is skillful. That's actually helpful. And there's the help. What's helpful for myself as a human being learning to navigate that? What's helpful for those who are suffering? And it's and wisdom is, is is a great guide point for that, but it's really if you see it's almost like an alive question that you see what's what's my natural tendency. That's what I would start with. What's my natural tendency, and just reflect on that and see is that tendency something that's really coming from a you often use the word wholesome place? Is it really coming from a place of Maybe integrity, of connection, or maybe it's coming from a place of protection and distancing. Maybe it's coming from a place of, yeah, I need to distance because this is really triggering my own wounding or my own trauma. I need to find some way of balancing that. And so that way you can kind of notice the impulse, the natural impulse, and maybe if it's not coming from the most uh wise place, see if there's a, a, something that's that feels a little bit more integrity or a quality that's more connected
1: does that make sense
3: um i mean the the paying attention to natural my natural inclination definitely makes sense um though i think i know (laughs) what my natural inclination is so it feels like it takes me back to the spot of like when is wisdom going to lead me out to something different than my natural inclination?
0: Okay. Yeah. So, and that's, that's the the, the edge of your practice right there. Yeah. When is wisdom going to show up and, and deliver the, the, the right answer or the right course of action? Right. So you can hang out there. Is It's like, okay, I'm not, I'm confused. I'm not sure what the right action is. Right. And just see if there's, Sometimes play with the different, you know, repertoires. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to travel to the Middle East and, you know, do this, or I'm going to never watch the news. You know, just see what arises as different options in response to that. Okay. If I do that, I course, this would happens internally. I do this other course, this other thing arises. Because wisdom sometimes is going to show up at its own timing, right? You have to, and you just hopefully are able to, to recognize when it arises. And what looks wise today may be unwise tomorrow. Yeah, and sorry, I don't have any, any you know clear, clear universal one size fits all. But it's it's like learning to trust yourself is the best thing I can I can say. It's like people ask questions like this all the time, and sometimes it's a very personal dilemma, like how do I deal with my kid who doesn't want to talk to me. Sometimes it's something really big. What do I do about the political scene or something like that's so, um, mind numbing like uh, climate change and climate crisis? It's like learning to navigate, you're really learning the skills for yourself. How do I stay grounded, centered, and full hearted? You know, it's like, how do I bring my heart into that, that, that action? And then take steps which are, Are small, concrete, and let those grow to bigger steps. Thank you. You're welcome.
1: Okay, we have time for maybe one more, if there's anyone in the room or online. Okay. So thank you for your questions and your engagement. Again, thank you for the volunteers.